Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. All right, let's get into it. Satipatthana Sutta. On one occasion, the Buddha was in Kamasadama, where he addressed those, those assembled. Friends, there are four frames of reference, four foundations of mindfulness that are required, required for the purifi purification of all beings. For the overcoming of sorrow and regret, for the disappearance of pain and distress, for establishing the right method of practice, and for complete un unbinding. What are these four? Number one is being mindful of the breath in the body, determined and alert, and abandoning craving, craving and aversion to what is occurring. So what does that mean? What's the Buddha's instructions here? We begin our meditation practice just this way. We have found a secluded spot, a place that's quiet, it's away from the distractions of the world, and we just become mindful of our breath. And that being mindful of the breath unites the, the mind and the body right here, right now. In the next moment, you might have a thought about something that distracts you. The Buddha is saying when that happens, because you are now determined and alert, you will abandon craving and aversion to what is occurring. That means if you have a thought or maybe a feeling that leads to a thought that forms a, a picture in your mind of something that you think that you need to have right now, or maybe you're just bored, silly doing this, meditating, you take another breath. And you're in that moment. When you're going from distraction to concentration on the breath, you're abandoning craving and aversion to what is occurring. Everybody follow me? All right, that's the first foundation of mindfulness. Does anybody feel like they can't do that? Recognizing that you're distracted and come back to your breath. Every time you do that, you're doing jhana meditation. It's not just being mindful of your breath. That's not the point of jhana. It's nice if you can just say, okay, I'm going to meditate for 30 minutes and you don't have a thought or a feeling of distraction. But I don't know anybody that that's ever occurred to. I don't think it occurred to Siddhartha Gautama. I've been meditating for over 250 years. <laughs> and I still have thoughts and feelings. And when that happens, I take the opportunity to deepen my concentration ever more. We can never deepen concentration in our jhana review. We touched on a sutta where Saraputta talks about the, the ever-increasing levels or depth. Maybe not levels is the wrong word to use here. Our concentration can always be deepened. And the deeper it is, the calmer our mind is. The, the more easily we're able to hold in mind the Eightfold Path. So you all agree that you can do it. The second foundation of mindfulness is being mindful of feelings arising from the sixth sense base, our five physical senses, and the sixth sense of our 
of our consciousness. But remember, it's not consciousness like some new agey cosmic consciousness that we're trying to unite with all other beings. That's not what human beings do. Consciousness is individual, and it's always individual. And so what we're talking about is our thinking. And if our thinking is rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths, truths, there will be stress. We'll be creating stress for ourselves. But when our thinking is not rooted in a delusion, rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths, then we have liberated ourselves. And what have we done? What have we done when we've completed this? We become a human being. Meaning that for the first time in our life, at least for the first time in my life, I was present for what was occurring and I didn't need it to be any different. I didn't need myself to be any different or what was occurring out in the world to be any different. That's liberation. And there is no other kind of liberation, is there? We're just human beings. And being a human being is the most ordinary thing a human being can do. Yet most of us don't know how to do it. We think that being human is, is mostly about acquisitions, whether it's physical ac acquisitions or intellectual acquisitions. You know, they're both big traps. Number three, being mindful of thoughts arising from the sixth sense base, determined and alert and abandoning craving and aversion to what is occurring. Same thing. So in our meditation, we sit down, we take a breath, we unite the mind and our body. And in some of us, in me, it might be a feeling that's distracting me, a painful feeling. And if I'm distracted by it, I simply take another breath. And if I start thinking, gee, I wish I didn't have that, now I take another breath. And I'm not doing something wrong if I have those thoughts. I'm doing something wrong if I let those thoughts or those feelings take me off my cushion. Because now I no longer have practice. But if I just take a breath, in that instant, I'm doing what the Buddha is teaching. It's the simplest thing in the world, isn't it? For a human being to take a breath and be mindful of it. The in-breath and the out-breath. And yet so many people, myself included, have such a hard time doing that. Isn't it? it, it it's just the more I think about it, maybe I shouldn't think about these things, but that the hardest thing for most adults is to just sit quietly. You know, I had a conversation with somebody. Maybe they're not in this room anymore. Maybe it was Dev. About, was. you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> about not being able to, yes, it was Dev. And, and how hard it is when you're with somebody else who's engaging in idle chatter to not feel like you have to jump into that. Or even just because you're with somebody else that you have to be talking about something. How much you married <laughs> That's right. And again, think about that. Two adult people that can't be next to each other in the same room, maybe at the same table, and not be talking, not be going on about something. That's idle chatter. And we learn not to do that. And the more that we can do that, the less distraction we'll have in our lives. But it doesn't mean that you should start developing an antisocial way of living in the world. The world isn't practicing the Dhamma. So there are times when you're going to have to talk about the weather or the football game. But that's just because we're living in the world. But if you find yourself always distracted by those situations, change your situation. 
You don't have to be distracted. You don't have to put yourself in situations where you will be distracted or with people that you will be distracted by. But sometimes you just have to, right? And that's okay. That's what we have our cushion for, our secluded spot. We can always come back to this. The fourth foundation of mindfulness, and I mentioned this at the end of every meditation session, being mindful of the present quality of mind, determined and alert and abandoning craving and aversion to what is occurring. When I say be at peace with your mind, it's your mind. That's what I'm referring to. And so we learn through developing the four foundations of mindfulness and developing concentration that even though the present quality of my mind might be disturbed in some way, I can be at peace with it. I can be at peace with it. I don't have to insist that my mind be something other than what it is. That's insanity. It might be functional insanity, but it's still insanity. To want myself to be any different than I am in this moment is insane. To want the world to be any different than it is in the moment is insane. How do I know that? Because there it is. It can't be any different. To want somebody else to be any different than they are in the moment is insane. Why? Because they aren't. And it's not for me to tell people how to live, is it? The greatest liberation I've ever had is liberating myself from the need to tell you what to do and how to live your life. It's much more pleasant just taking care of my own stuff. And you're all learning that. Stop. Oh, wait a minute. That was about the Phillies. <laughs> so this section, and what we're going to be looking at tonight, is, is called the breath in the body. This is the beginning. This is how we do it. And it's a rather elaborate... Um, I don't even know the right word. Exposition of the of what we're doing, and don't let the don't let the wordiness get away from you. But what the Buddha is trying to give us is instill in us is an understanding of the nuanced nature of how we do this, and how does one remain mindful of the breath in the body, in and of itself? I just love this too about the Buddha. He doesn't just say, "Go, be mindful of your breath." He tells us how to do it. Now, how does one remain mindful of the breath in the body in and of itself? In and of itself means I'm not adding anything to this. It's just this pure experience. He says, finding a secluded spot, the shade of a tree or an empty hut or any other secluded spot, sitting erect with legs crossed in front, placing attention on the breath. That's the beginning of the most profound meditation practice I've ever come across. Finding the shade of a tree or an empty hut, sitting erect with legs crossed in front and placing attention on the breath. Then the Buddha says, remaining mindful of the breath. Mindful. So what, mindful is a dispassionate. It's not a clinging after type of mindfulness. That's mindlessness. It's a dispassionate awareness of what's occurring. The breath is the breath. It's just occurring. Remaining mindful of the breath, breathe in and breathe out. Again, how simple could it be? And some of the lineages that I studied in, they made whole practices out of different types of breath. In other words, you force yourself to breathe in long. You breathe, you breathe in short. Um, Over-oxygenate yourself by rapid breaths. 
and the Buddha never just said, however you find your breath, breathe in and breathe out. Mindful of the breath, long or short, breathe in and breathe out. Training yourself to be sensitive to the breath and calming bodily fabrications. Right? It's not something that we force ourselves to do to calm bodily fabrications. By being mindful of the breath, bodily fabrications calm. Ever mindful, calming the body with each in-breath and each out-breath. We train only for calm. Remaining mindful of the breath in the body, mindful of the in-breath and the out-breath, right? the whole cycle. It's not just the in-breath, right? because the in-breath and the out-breath is a metaphor for the cycle of life. Life arises and it passes away. All of life arises and passes away. And in that moment that we're mindful of the arising and passing away of our own breath, we are on the edge of eternity. Where else is eternity but right here and right now? Eternity isn't something that's hard to fathom. It's just the present moment, isn't it? Where else would it be? And if I can do that, be mindful of my in-breath and my out-breath the entire cycle, I'm living my life. I'm now a reference point to what's occurring. And I don't need anything to be any different. Remaining mindful of the breath in the body, mindful of the in-breath and the out-breath, the arising and the passing away of phenomena with regard to the body. In this moment, in one breath, I don't know how many cells, I'll just use the, a big number, a million cells are generated and pass away. I don't know exactly how many, but it's a lot. So in each and every breath, we're different people physically than we ever were before. And every moment is like that in life, isn't it? This moment is the most unique and rare moment I'll ever have. But I don't have to cling to it because all I have to do is keep breathing and be mindful of it. And then each and every moment is like that. It has the same meaning. I don't have to grasp after meaning in my life anymore. Remember what I talked about earlier? I was always trying to figure out what's the point of this? What's the point? The point is to be here. Who was it? Alan Watts that wrote the book, Be Here Now. The, the title was great. The rest Ram of the book. Rambas, yes. Title was good. The rest of the book is a distraction. But yeah, I mean, this is where my life is. Why wouldn't I want to be here now? with an understanding of what it means to be Johnny boy, <laughs> right? I'm good to go. Why? Why can I say that? Because I'm here. Nobody needs to ever explain themselves or justify their, their place in the world. We're here having a human experience. It's nothing more, but it's nothing less either. And when we're fully present for this moment, using the four foundations of mindfulness, this moment can't be any more meaningful or purposeful than it is, simply by my presence in it. Is everybody following me or with me? Do you have any questions about that? I mean, it is kind of a, if I said this outside and somebody who didn't know the Dhamma heard it, they'd say, that guy's out of his mind. They said the same thing about Siddhartha Gautama, by the way, too. Can't be like that, but it is. 
Yeah, I, well, that's a, and you can put it that way. Yes, out of that mind that is that is restricted and craving and clinging and rooted in ignorance. Yeah, free it, liberate it. That's what we're doing. The Buddha continues in this way. One remains mindful internally and externally. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> cigars. <laughs> In this way, one remains mindful internally and externally, right? Inside, I have established inner poise and externally. I don't need anything out there to be any different than it is because it can't be. I understand it. Internally and externally with regard to the body. With no self-reference, calmly noticing there is a body with no self-reference. Can everybody get their mind around that? What did Robert Hyde grok? Can everybody grok that? It's stuck in the past a little bit. Calmly noting, noticing there is a body. But I don't have to take this body personally, do I? And if I can stop taking it personally, then the condition of this body is just fine. Right? This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. What I am is a human being that has a mind and a body. And that mind gives me the ability to think what I want to think when I want to think it. And if I develop the four foundations of mindfulness, then my thoughts are always appropriate to what's occurring. Rather than, oh, this, you're all old and broken down and you know, you're coming to the end. And what, what good is that type of thinking? But I know a lot of people that think that way. I have three brothers that think that way. And I, when I go to a doctor, I, they always give you the, when you're my age and they find out you live alone, they always ask you these questions that they hope you don't notice is trying to find out if you're depressed, depressed or suicidal. And I always end up saying my life has never been more meaningful or purposeful than it is right now. And they look at me like I'm a little crazy. But it's the truth. And it's only because of this practice. It's because I'm a human being. And... That might sound like bragging, but it's crazy to even think that way. How could a person be bragging that they're just a human being? It is the most ordinary thing that we become. Right? There's billion, how many billions of people are there? Being a human being is not rare. Understanding what it means to be a human being seems to be rare in the world. Not clinging to anything in the world. Just some uh, my comments here a little bit. Concentration is the foundation that supports refined mindfulness, right? Refined mindfulness is the type of mindfulness that holds in mind as the framework and the guidance for each moment in my life. That's refined mindfulness. So when we can, we find that we're distracted or upset about something, we can take a breath, remind ourselves that this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. That's refined mindfulness. So what, the reason why I use the word refined mindfulness, and it's not a word the Buddha used, but I don't think he didn't have the mindfulness craze back then that we have now. So everybody wants to be mindful, but it's, it's a grasping after and clinging to type of mindfulness that is really mindlessness. So there's a, there's a, definite, um, there's a definition between ordinary mindfulness and the mindfulness that we're doing here. 
being mindful of what is occurring in relation to the Eightfold Path is refined mindfulness. Being mindful of the breath in the body is the foundation of developing understanding of an ego personality and its relation to the distraction of stress. Being mindful of the breath in the body interrupts outer focus, outer focus clinging and conditioned thinking and begins to quiet the mind with directed inner mindfulness. Being mindful of the in-breath and the out-breath brings mindfulness to the arising and the passing away of all phenomena. Notice that there is no uh, specialness or applied emphasis attached to the normal breathing cycle. And again, that's there for those of you that may have had practices that encourage um, uh, over-focused on the breath and manipulating the breath in this way or that way. That's just a distraction. Or even the, the rapid breathing um, you know, there, there was a, uh, there's, there's a modern practice, but this rapid breathing, this over oxygenating your, your body, your brain, uh, has been around for a long, long time. It was part of the rebirthing, uh, craze, you know, and people, um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to say that me and a, another woman developed our own rebirthing thing way back in the, in the heyday. We call it the soul breath. And we were pretty good at instilling people in this over-oxygenated place and having them realize things in that over-oxygenated place. I started, we, we did three workshops like that. And I, I told this, my name was Barbara. I said, I can't do this anymore. I said, we're tricking everybody. And I realized that we were doing that. We were just, we were getting people's minds over over oxygenated, their brains over oxygenated, and we're instilling suggestions into them that they grasped after and went into these things. It's it's a modern it's a modern practice still, um, but it's been around forever. You know, this this idea of breathing ourselves. Um, there was an I won't go too deep into it. Back to the Buddha's words. And listen to the simplicity of this. When walking, be mindful of walking. So the Buddha never taught walking meditation. He just told us to be mindful of walking. What does it mean? Just be mindful of walking. When you're walking, know that you're walking. Don't be off somewhere else. We have a wonderful towpath to practice that on over the weekend, by the way. When standing, be mindful of standing. I'm always mindful of standing. When sitting, be mindful of sitting. When lying down, be mindful of lying down. In any function, be mindful that there is a body. And it is this body that is my connection to human life, isn't it? My mind and body united, experiencing this moment. In any function, be mindful that there is a body. In any function, be mindful. That's a dispassionate mindfulness. This is where my life is experiencing it. I should treat this thing with gentleness and understanding rather than rebellion and disappointment. When going about looking this way and that, be fully mindful. <laughs> it's amazing what this guy thought of back then, huh? 2,600 years ago. 
This is one that I do every day. When bending or reaching, be fully mindful. I practice that every day. When carrying a bowl or a cloak, be fully mindful. When eating, drinking, or savoring food, be fully mindful. When eliminating waste, be fully mindful. When walking, standing, sitting, sleeping, waking, talking or silent, be fully mindful. Then this wonderful man says, in this way, one remains mindful of the breath in the body, the in-breath and the out-breath. It all resolves there, isn't it? Our entire life resolves in the in-breath, in the out-breath. Right? That frames our life. We take one breath to get it going, and we take one more to end it. And in between, all those other breaths are up to us. Are they going to be mindful or wasted? In this way, one remains mindful of the breath in the body, the arising and the passing away of the body, independent of and not clinging to anything in the world. This body is fine just as it is. Popeye was right. Just as a person with good eyesight, emptying a bag full of mixed grains would know this is wheat, this is rice, there are beans, these are sesame seeds. We can discriminate. It doesn't mean that we have to make make a, approval choices. What are these beans doing in here? In the same way, one remains mindful from the soles of the feet to the top of the head. Encased in skin, there is hair, nails, teeth, tendons, bones, marrow, organs, feces, phlegm, blood, urine, sweat, fat, tears, saliva, mucus, and fluid in the joints. I don't know how he understood that back 2,600 years ago, but he did. So he's describing the human body. Right? Everybody's got this stuff to be alive. In this way, one is mindful of the four elements. Right? That's what we're, we're all made up of, the four elements. The earth element, the water element, the fire element, and the wind element. That's part of us, a part of all of nature. These four elements, this is just my commentary, these four elements that comprise a human being are impermanent. Of course they are. The Buddha's words, be mindful of the impermanence of the body to develop this passion. Right? I know I got a beginning. I don't quite remember it. My mother told me it was unpleasant. But, but I hopefully can be aware of the end. But at least in between that, I can be present for it and not worry about the end. It was a while ago when I realized I don't have any fear of dying. I really don't. I know some of you may think that I'm just saying that to say it, but I'm not. I'm not hoping it comes in the next moment. In fact, you know, I'm hoping I got at least five years because that's how many books I got left in the take. But if not, I don't. But I'll tell you one thing, for a good chunk of my life, I've lived it. And I haven't needed it to be any different than it is. Liberation. The Buddha continues, if left unattended, a corpse decays quickly. It becomes bloated and infested. It is picked at by birds and dogs and other creatures. Eventually, nothing is left but dust. And that's true for every human being, unless you're King Tut or Bomb somewhere. You know, and it's interesting what 
lengths some people went to try and keep this going somehow. Be mindful that this very body too will die and pass away. This is the nature of the world, an unavoidable fate. In this way, one remains mindful of the breath in the body, the in-breath and the out-breath. In this way, one remains mindful of the arising and the passing away of the body, independent of and not clinging to anything in the world. That means I stop comparing myself and my life to anybody. I am independent. I don't need to be as tall as Brian or as young as Laura. I think Laura's the youngest one here. I don't need to be anything other than what I am. I am what I am. I think it's Cody. I am what I am. What a wonderful thing to have developed an understanding of. It's the first time anybody's told me I'm tall. I was going to say, I mean. You're, you're much, much taller than I am. I'll take that. And tomorrow you'll be even a little bit taller. I seem to be. I haven't driven in a while, but I wonder if I could see over there. We used to have a joke. My father had this 1969 Camaro, a real low one. And my, my father was shorter than me. The joke in the family was, if you ever see <coughs> if you ever see a, a 69 white Camaro going down the street with nobody driving, that's my dad. <laughs> he just terrified, but he drove right like, past his 90th birthday. This is how one remains mindful of the breath in the body. I shouldn't have joked right at that last line, so let me read it again. <laughs> this is how one remains mindful of the breath in the body. The most powerful thing we can ever do for ourselves is to learn how to breathe properly in jhana. So before we get going into our usual discussion, I'm going to put Matt on the spot and ask him to he said something brilliant a Tuesday night, and I'm going to ask him to try to recreate it, which is pretty hard to do. Thank you for the teaching. Um, so we've done these spring and fall retreats five or six times, something like that. And each time we've chosen Satipatthana, or Anapanasati. Both of those have to do with the breath in the body. So why did we choose this sutta? Why do we, why do we take the time to focus on this sutta and unpack it and really look at it and really go into it? Because we do that because when Because this practice is not about words. It's not about teachings. It's not about sentences. It's not about stories. It's not about any of those things. When all the, you might not remember any suttas just because that's how your brain works. You know, you don't, you don't remember stuff like that. Some people remember any number of things. The method that the Buddha teaches in this sutta is hopefully what you will take away from 
our classes, our retreats for the last 11 years. You know, this is the most important thing because this is what you do, how you take responsibility for your mind. So the first thing that we do is we sit. We're, we're sitting physically embodied here, sitting. Whether we're in a chair, whether we're on the floor, it doesn't matter. Then we're becoming aware of the sensation of breathing in the body. Then we're becoming aware of the arising and passing of thoughts. Then, or simultaneously, we're becoming aware of the arising and passing of feelings. Another layer, or uh, simultaneously, we're becoming aware of the quality of our mind changing as we're breathing in and out, as thoughts are arising and passing, as feelings are arising and passing. What is the linchpin for all of that? Like David said, is insight into impermanence. This whole retreat is so that you all can cultivate a direct experience with impermanence. Because when you do, <coughs> you will change the relationship to your thoughts, to your feelings to the quality of your mind. And when you change the relationship to your thoughts and you change relationship to feelings and you change relationship to the quality of mind, you'll start to experience depression is temporary. Now I'm depressed, I'm noticing a sensation somewhere in my body, I'm noticing thoughts arising and passing, I'm noticing feelings arising and passing, I'm noticing the quality of my mind changing, and now it's gone. Doesn't mean it's not going to come back 10 minutes later, 20 minutes later, an hour later, but the method for dealing with it is the same. When we practice in this way, our relationship to our life as it occurs changes. We are not needing thoughts to be different. There's an uncomfortable thought that comes up. No problem. It's temporary. It's gone. Now I'm thinking about something else. There's an uncomfortable sensation that's arising and passing somewhere in my body. No problem. Now it's gone. I'm thinking about something else. Doesn't mean it's not going to come back 10 minutes later, 20 minutes later, an hour later. The method for dealing with it is the same. So, what the Satipatthana Sutta teaches us is how to establish jhana. It teaches us what the concentration factors of the Eightfold Path are. Right effort, right mindfulness, right meditation. 
that's our personal practice. That's what we do individually on our own. When we're out in the world, we're not sitting. We're in our day, we're at work, we're with our families, we're doing all kinds of things. But what we have established by understanding the Satipatthana Sutta and developing that practice, developing that method, changes our relationship to our life. Off the cushion, out in the world, dealing with work, dealing with family, dealing with other people. Because we've changed our relationship to our view of ourself in relation to our thoughts, our view of ourself in relation to our feelings, our view of ourself in relation to the quality of our mind, all of which are impermanent, temporary. So when we regularly understand that what's occurring in our lives is temporary, the things that we think, the things that we say to ourselves about what we think, things that we say, what we say to other people. When we understand that that's temporary, what does the Buddha say? Dispassion arises. We, we start to let go of it being a problem. We start to let go of needing it to be different. And when we're not distracted by needing things to be different anymore, like John said, there's there's liberation, there's peace, there is calm. Because I understand that whatever is arising is going to pass. So if I'm if there's a quality of mind that is unpleasant, okay. Take a breath, come back, experience the passing away of that unpleasant mind state. And now you're thinking about something else. You guys following that? Thank you for your teaching, man. <laughs> we really are fortunate that just about, I mean, head count, but about half the people here are Dhamma teachers. That's a pretty good thing. And you're going to hear, Matt's not teaching a section of the sutta, but he gave us quite a teaching just now. And you're going to hear from five other teachers this weekend. Uh, and what's remarkable to me, I mean, it is obviously a reflection on how great a teacher I am. <laughs> is how excellent each and every one of these other teachers are. I mean, this was wonderful what Matt just said. You know, Siddhartha could have said those words. But I think you'll all notice subtle differences in, in not what we teach, because we're all teaching for noble truths, but how our application of it is slightly different and nuanced in our own personal way. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why we go around the room. You know, we have a discussion after each, uh, after one of us teaches a sutta for that same reason. So you can talk about all of us, how we're integrating 
the Dhamma, how we're developing the four foundations of mindfulness. So when we go around the room now, and please, you know, be aware there's a there's a, a good number of us here tonight. I'm glad to see all of you, but let's try to keep your comments uh, short. But I do want to hear from every one of you, and maybe you can talk about how just what we talked about. What is it? What is your practice like? Your jhana practice like? Engaging with your breath and your body. Do you understand it? Are you are you um, recognizing the ability to to abandon craving? and aversion to what is occurring in the moment. Uh, and I'm going to start with Dev. I'll start with you. Um, how are you tonight? I'm glad you joined. Good job. Um, thank you. And thank you, Matt. That, that was an exceptional explanation of what it is that we're trying to do here. Um, I'll continue to listen. Thanks, Dev. I'm glad you joined us. Thanks, Dev. Uh, and does anybody mind being on camera? It's okay if you say you don't want to be on camera. Okay, I'm gonna. Tracy oh, walked over there. I'm gonna start over here with Mary. Hello, Mary. Hi, John. I got you. Thank you for the teaching. Thank you, Matt, for anchoring the foundation of uh, what we all will. Uh, teach on, gleaned from um, the breath in the body and our relationship to impermanence and the three marks. Um, so it should be a really great thing. Yeah, I think so too. Thanks, Mary. Hello, Jane. Thank you for the teaching. Um, Matt said really resonated with me. And maybe that's because I talked to him about my practice all the time. <laughs> and he got me here, but it's like yeah, that's right. the whole idea of impermanence and being in the present. That's what it's all about. And I definitely see it in my life. Thank you, Matt. Raquel, I'm glad you joined our retreat in our sangha. Yes. I got you in camera. There you are. Has been a terrific experience for me. Like such a short time in the sense that I introduced me to someone and start talking to all of you. And the transformation that we see that we could be hopefully Mark will continue doing this well. So we are doing the meditation. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Raquel. You bring so much to our Sangha. You and Mark. Sangha mom? Oh, let me get you. Here's Becky. Thank you for the teaching, John. And I really don't have a lot to add. I, uh, I'm looking forward to the weekend. I think this is a great start, as Mary said. And I think impermanence is a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you thought you never thought you would say that, though. <laughs> no. 
I mean, there are there times I'll, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and just have this feeling that just comes up. And before, I would spend whatever time being scared and nervous. And then I, now I just go, <laughs> this, is, this is just going to pass away. It is. And you can go back to sleep. And <laughs> I do that a lot. So. And it does. Works. It does pass away. <laughs> it passes away. If you don't grab onto it, yeah. It will pass away. Yeah. If you don't grab yes. onto yes. it. It's the relationship. Mm-hmm. It's the relationship. The dukkha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Understanding permanence allows you to then understand every version of what's the umbrella of the dukkha. Yeah. And that's where then you can truly, sincerely say, this is not you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the liberation. Mm-hmm. And again, we'll talk about this all weekend. We haven't really touched on it in a while, but the three marks is what this is all about. Yeah. So the, the understanding of impermanence and logic, understand who could truly is. Yeah, the three marks are Anicca, yes. impermanence, anatta, the not self characteristic, and deluded thinking. So the first two are because of deluded thinking. Once we end that delusion by dollar practice, we liberate ourselves from clinging to things being permanent, including this misunderstanding of what it means to be a self. That's what the Buddha used that word anatta, not to say that there's no such thing as a self. What he was using that word for is to say your, your views that you're holding of yourself are wrong views, let go of the views. And that's another way of saying what we're doing here is letting go of these views. By the way, the next review after the jhana, I think there's six, seven classes left in the jhana review, is a 30-some-odd class, I think, on Vipassana, or insight into the three marks of existence. It's coming up, coming attractions. (laughs) Thanks, Becky. Mark, I'm glad you joined us tonight. How are you? Yeah. Um, well, well, maybe because I'm, I'm, I'm just starting, but I do find maybe a, a catch twenty-two is how does one how how does one know if he's having a deluded thinking if he's having deluded thinking. Oh, it, it, what a great question. Um, in the beginning, it's because you find that you are distracted in some way or you want yourself or some situation or another person to be different than they are in the present moment. So that's rooted in deluded thinking because you can't be. You are what you are in this moment. And it doesn't mean, you know, in the beginning it could sound almost... Um, I can't think of the right word, but uh, that you should be trying to fix what's wrong with you. Shouldn't you always be trying to better yourself? Well, the truth is, there's nothing wrong with you or me or anybody else. We are what we are. It doesn't mean that there's behaviors that I, I, I change the behavior from drinking two or three bottles of vodka every day to not. You know, that's behavior that I change. 
but it didn't make me a good or a bad person. You know, I made it made a better life for myself. So the things that you recognize are causing stress for yourself is your first encounter with your using the term I making or your ego personality wanting something to be different than it is. We, we talked about the three defilements, greed, aversion, again, and deluded thinking. That arises in the moment to an uncontrolled mind by wanting something to be different than it is. So that, that's how you know. Be, one of the reasons why we say be gentle with yourself, Mark, is at first it can seem almost overwhelming, almost like an avalanche of all these things that you're doing wrong. You're not doing anything wrong. And you, you likely never really did anything wrong in your life outside of, you know, I don't know you that well. You know, if you hurt somebody intentionally, <clears throat> you could look at that. But you're just Mark. And why not just be Mark? You know, you it's can't. It's worth meditating the, the, the statement, not wanting to be something different than you already are. That's definitely worth meditating. Yes, and that's, that's very, I think that's very profound. And can you, well, it is. It's the most profound <laughs> thing you can ever understand. And do you see why you need concentration for that? And why concentration naturally develops it, naturally you know, develops it. It gives you the opportunity, Matt described it too. A concentrated mind gives me the opportunity to not go into, I should be this, I should be that, or the world should be this, or you should be this, or you should be that. It ends conflict in our mind. If we end conflict in our minds, which we can do rather readily, then there is no conflict because all conflict is in here. It's not out there. And always, no matter what's going on in the world, conflict is within each individual. Happiness is within each individual. Sadness is within each every everything that we can feel as a human being. It's part of the human experience. We just have to be present for it and not want something to be different. So that's where this simple practice, and you already have some pretty good insight into it, Mark. That's why this simple practice is so profound. So great question. I'm glad you joined us. Thank you. Zach, I hope I can get you on camera. That's okay. That I'm, I'm big just, tall uh, guy is right in front of you. Yeah. I'm just, Brian, if you can move your mouth while I'm talking. <laughs> Whatever I say will seem much more insightful. I'm not sure that's how that works. But... <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't even know where to begin on, on this one, but uh, right where you are, I'm, I'm, I've just been over the last 24 hours just stupid giddy. Um, <laughs> That definitely didn't come out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but just, Said just, Brian never. <laughs> <laughs> what are y'all laughing about? This is serious stuff. No, really. Um, just, but just in, in the in the calmest, most pleasant way, and that's that's both through good thoughts and bad thoughts. And uh, I have printed and. Case in a number of places throughout the house, which you guys will see tomorrow. In the <laughs> yeah, see be, be mindful of impermanence and uncertainty. That's I, I love the you know realizing that John is that direct experience. 
experience of that. I remember hearing that yeah. at the last retreat and hearing it again, super helpful. But um, yeah, I took a walk with Matt yesterday and I was like, I, I don't even remember how I was or could have existed without or beyond this frame of mind and this practice. You it seems so distant to me. Yeah, you didn't really exist, did you? <laughs> Not really. Yeah, no. It's just a fabrication that you lived in. So, that's pretty good. So thank you. Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> and I would say, you know, just my advice, stay stupid, giddy. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Tracy, I'm glad you joined us. Thank you so much for the teaching. And, um, yeah, I think the thing that always comes up for me um, some, I'm sure like everybody, some meditations sessions are very pleasant and others aren't. Yeah. And I find that um, the thing that comes up for me all the time is like this practice really requires like a lot of courage. Like that's yeah. the word that keeps yeah. coming up for me because I think that even before I came to this practice, there's a part of me that knew about impermanence, which is why... I developed what I would consider to be um, obsessive thinking. Yeah, that, um, that's exactly right, Tracy. That's why we do that. Because I was afraid of the truth of impermanence, yep. basically. And yep. so this sit tonight and then the teaching was a tough sit for me. And I realized that I just didn't, I wasn't allowing myself the courage to just deal with what was coming up, you know? Mm -hmm. Hanging on to that thought, you know. Oh, I'm just hanging on to that thought. <laughs> Even if it sucked. But yet you stayed. You had the courage to but stay. But I did. And yeah. um, I think that it does require just continuing to show up and doing the work the yeah. best you can and having courage when it when you can. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's yeah. all I really that, That's uh, very well said. Um, and it's a gentle type of courage, isn't it? It's it's doing what you can, but not what you can't. Yeah. And in the moment you take a breath, and if in, in that breath you find a disturbed quality of mind, now you know you can be at peace with that mind. You don't have to change it immediately. You can take another breath. And impermanence tells us that all of those qualities of mind will always change. You know, sometimes we can get to a, a place in our where meditation just feels so good that's all that we want. And that's not life. You know, we're, we're meant to use our cushions and our seclusion to develop concentration. But the whole point of it is to be able to take it out in your moment-by-moment -moment life and have the gentle courage to face the reality of being a human being. And the reason why we created all these fantasies about spirituality and religion and afterlives are because we're terrified of this moment. We're terrified of what we question. are. Sure, um, I might not have I'm an answer. Take up all the time, but can, going back to um, Mark, Mark mm -hmm. going back to what you said about um, you know that you don't have to be anything than what you are, and like acknowledging that. But what if there's something you're doing consistently that you really don't want to keep doing, but you keep doing? Yeah, change it. You you can be the you can be the, the the force for impermanence yourself, right? I don't like the fact that I'm drinking three bottles of vodka. 
every day. I mean, I had to go through a little process to stop it, but I stopped it. And I mean, there's a lot of other behaviors that I stopped doing simply because they didn't fit within the framework of the Eightfold Path, which means they, they would just either lead to more stress and distraction if I didn't. But again, the, the practice itself, and even the, the, uh, uh, the, the Buddhist teaching on right effort, I, I don't know if we're going to touch on this enough, but right effort is an aspect of gentle courage. It simply means that we're going to continue no matter what's occurring. And, and again, it's not some kind of grim you know, stoic way of looking at this is, you know, you're just not going to go through it. We learn to be very gentle with ourselves because what are we doing? We're really just changing our thoughts, right? And when we change the way we think about ourselves in relation to the world, again, this goes back to what Matt was just was saying, we change everything. And so what you're doing, Tracy, is you're changing yourself to become the human being that you are, that you can't recognize or even utilize in a very skillful way until you're well concentrated and you abandon all those other things. But you start with one breath and our practice takes us breath by breath, doesn't it? We can't, we can't get in front of our breath. You never can, right? Dhamma practice can only be practiced in the present moment. It requires concentration. There's no Dhamma practice yesterday. And there ain't none, how's that for language? There ain't none tomorrow. It's right here, right now. And it is the most gentle thing I think any human being can do. And almost paradoxically, it does take great courage, doesn't it? I think every one of you that has continued with practice would say that, that it took a lot of courage to keep going, especially at times. You know? Thank you for the, the great question, Tracy. Yes, Mark, please. Um, I think that that question is, how do you stop doing something? That, how do you how do you make that change? It's super difficult. You know, there's all kinds of hell books on changing one's habits, and our our, our, our brain is wired for habit. You know, good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. So. I mean, I just started reading a book it's called the Atomic Habits. And they kind of break down the process, you know, to its basic elements, how to change habits. Yeah. So the Dhamma directly rewires our brains. So stop reading that book and read my book. <laughs> but it's really true. I mean, we, really, we literally are the instrument of our rewiring of our brain. You know, we're, we're taking all those wires that are stuck out in, out in the world and distracting us and pulling us away from ourselves. As and we're abandoning them. And what's left is this pure, clean, malleable, supple mind. That's calm no matter what's occurring. And, and I, again, I can tell by your questions that you, you, you're going in the right direction, both you and Tracy, and show that your practice is... Bearing fruit. Thank you. Where's the camera? I can't see. Oh, Cody. Hi. Good to see you tonight. Glad you're here. Um, thank you. Glad I'm here too. Um, uh, just thinking about 
intrusive thoughts, compulsions, behaviors, addictions. Um, and um, I mean, I know, I know that I wanted to pursue meditation and I wanted to develop this practice because I didn't really enjoy or appreciate the way that I was interacting with other people. Mm -hmm. um, that takes great courage just to have that thought. <laughs> it does. But uh, one thing that I do know from, from the experience of all of this is when you, when you said uh, this present moment is eternal, um, I don't often like to think about that because like there's this internal like cringy eye roll with the word eternal. Mm -hmm. um, Eternity. Yeah. It, the, the moment is eternal. Um, and the closest thing that we'll get to it. No, it but, is. Uh, okay. okay. Close, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, if I have intrusive thoughts or I have compulsions and I want to practice radical acceptance and I just, just breathe. You know, just return to the breath and just breathe. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? If I can put you on the spot. Does it seem too simple? Maybe I asked an unfair question. If I did, we could just skip it. Um, not to go on and on about it, uh, but I, I, you know, just listening to everybody's uh, comments tonight. Um, I have someone in my life that I'm very close to that has dementia. Mm. And um, when I first discovered this, I developed this really weird, irrational fear that I was going to wake up someday and I was just going to be like 90 mm -hmm. and I wouldn't remember anything. Um, yeah. And I was afraid to be with this person that I loved. Um, and this practice has given me a way to sit in the moment and be with that person and accept them. Yeah, you know, bring me to tears. Uh, and to just breathe. Um, I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, Happens in every retreat. I always say I'm not going to cry. My mom died. Of the, what'd you say, Tracy? So soon. Yeah, usually it's at the end of the retreat. So I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. My mom died of dementia, and I know it was. I, if I didn't have this practice, I don't know what I would have done because there's nothing you can do. You know, but what you can do is love them, and that's what I was. You know, the conclusion that you finally came to. Is the most wonderful conclusion you can ever have, isn't it? Just to be present and love somebody. And you can only, I mean, you can only do that in the moment. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm discovering mm -hmm. every day, deeper and deeper, that I can only truly be with you or with us or anywhere, like right now. Yeah. Um, that's especially true of spending time with her. It's true of everyone. Yeah. It is, and those are. Well, I again, not to go on too much about it, but they're the 
they're the most awful moments of your life and they're the most wonderful you know, at the same time. That's a hard thing to reconcile and it takes gentle courage that you develop through the Dharma to do that. Uh, and your mom, I, you know, my, my mom lost the ability to speak and the doctor said she probably didn't even feel anything. But um, I knew that she, she, she changed, you know, well, at the tour, at the end of her life, she if you walked into her hospital room, you just you couldn't tell it was a human being, and it was just kind of this twisted up lump. But I could see her relax when I would just sit there for a little bit. This lump would just soften, and again, <laughs> tears. It was the most one of the most wonderful moments of my life, and I hated every minute of it. <laughs> Thanks, Cody. Thanks for being so honest. Laura, I hope you have a wonderful story, please. Thank you, Cody, Whatever so you have to say. Sharing that. Yeah. that was just when Cody was talking to I was thinking about when you were reading the Buddha's words, John, on you know, the awareness of the body, and he goes through all of those pieces of our body and <coughs> being aware of that kind of during meditation, sometimes my mind can just be still stuck up in the clouds and so I just say you know, just notice the <coughs> sensation of your ass just sitting on the floor like, and being there and then that brings me back to like this is not anything special this is just like an ordinary you know it, it actually works you should start saying that <laughs> what did I say everybody's practice is individual yes. Yes. how can I include that maybe that's it Maybe we discovered a fifth foundation of mindfulness. Be mindful of your ass on the cushion. <laughs> Thank you, Laura, for that. It took 2,600 years to develop the fifth foundation. Did you have another? Another, another moment of comic relief? Thank you for that. Julia, how are you tonight? Me too. The teaching, Matt. Well, um, I feel like it's a couple of tough acts to follow. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I, 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 my tone is a little different. But I think what's resonating with me is that the vocabulary that this practice gives me or gives us um, is so helpful. Not just because it's gentle. But because, oh, because it prioritizes being so gentle. Um, I find it to not be unfamiliar, even though it is so new still. Because when we are saying to be present, sometimes that means being patient. When we're practicing right speech, that sometimes just means being kind or all of these things, all of these terms that I grew up with being the right things to do. We don't hear those words so much in this practice, but we hear broader, bigger concepts. Yeah. And it's great to see that. Yeah, ways to, um, a, a context in which to apply them. Yeah. So I appreciate everything that we shared. It's very relatable. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm just excited for the rest of the weekend and keeping my ass at 
<laughs> me too. Me too. I love my ass right where it is. <laughs> You're uh, again. You show such a, such a depth of understanding of just what we're doing here, and it's it's just that way. You know, we're not we're not dealing with anything that is uh, extraordinary. Except it is. So, you know, what, what is that? What does this extraordinary practice deliver us? A gentle courage and a calm and peaceful mind. Nothing more ordinary than that. Popeye was right. I keep saying it. I am what I am. Let's go to David. Hello, David. Oftentimes, when we're in the Sangha, we learn um, the questions and learn from the sharings start seeing how this practice does work, really describing things that were common from childhood. Watch your mouth, be kind to people, or how do I deal with a five-year-old, or how do I deal with a person who has dementia, how do I break a habit? And this practice gives you the structure, gives you the structure to support that. Where it's not just this crude version of restraint or effort, but it <coughs> provides you a very real structure of how to change how you think, <coughs> how you understand suffering, the permanence, and what is in self. And then that's a real thing. Yeah. That's, a, that's a not to use the word permanent, but that's something that you can really build that house around. Yeah. So I get that every time I come in this room. Yeah. Me too. Well said, my friend. We have a room full of teachers here. Let's come over to Rob. Hello, Rob. Never left, so. no, 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 quite, not quite feel like that. Um, and thank you, Matt, for really nailing the foundation down. Um, yeah. Apart from just being real happy to be here, do we treat? Yeah, I wonder if I should extrapolate on that remark I made about um, chattiness and being married to a chatty person. I think you should. I can't. I want to hear it. I'm not going to give Anita a call later. Yeah. I know. I know. She's right One now. of these days. You know, um, but I realized that, you know, my, my wife likes, Anita likes likes to talk, you know, it's, 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 it's her, her nature. <laughs> and um, a lot of times, you know, we'll spend time together and she just likes to talk. And I don't say much back, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm still engaged in what, what's, you know, what's coming to me. 
I realize it's it's a form of uh, noble silence. Yes, it is. Deb, are you listening to this? You We've talked about You don't some. have to. I am. <laughs> you don't have to come back with the same amount of chattiness. Yes. You just be there for for yeah. the chattiness. Yeah, it's not a competition. And, yeah, it's it's not a competition, and and it's also not a. Um, um, you're also not telling the person you shouldn't be chatting because you know, it, it just has a it has it has a place you know in that in the relationship at that time yeah Nita goes through stuff that happened in her in her day and and I sit there and, and I listen to it and then not sagely every now and then um, <laughs> but um, in a way, it's a, it's a form of noble silence. Well, yeah, it is. It, you're allowing your right speech to inform your noble silence. I'm, I'm. I didn't realize it until one of my last uh, formal relationships, you know, serious relationships. But I tended to pick women who talked a lot, so I didn't have to. <laughs> really? Uh -huh. I mean, that was that was on the plus side if they talked a lot. Uh -huh. I like being quiet. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't. I won't say that I stayed one hundred percent committed to that idea. But <laughs> you sure pulled up. <laughs> Just thinking, I was going to get a T-shirt that says "Small talk is tedious." I'll sell them if you guys want. Now my teacher Brian, my friend. Uh, I don't know if I can go out past that. That's pretty good. I think I'll take noble silence and uh, kick us off tomorrow. So. Uh, yeah, Brian. Brian is up first up tomorrow. Yeah, I'm. A, I'm a bolt of coffee first thing in the morning. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Hello, Jen. Hey. Jen is teaching tomorrow Very afternoon. Very exciting. Happy to be here. Enjoyed listening to everybody's comments. Um, I mean, y'all pretty much said what I was thinking, so. Yes. Um, you, know. you were thinking about having chatty? No, I was, I was just I was thinking about how, you know, after Matt's eloquent explanation of the practice, we went around the room and then everybody just gave examples of, of exactly that. Yeah. You all talked about how when you practice, like if, if you're recognizing in your mind that you're grabbing onto something, you're wanting something to be different. How do you not do that? You can't not do it by telling yourself not to do it. <coughs> Brains don't work that way. Yeah. The way to do it is to recognize that you're doing it. Oh, wow. I'm wanting something to be different right now in this moment. Let me just watch that because it's impermanent. Yeah. By watching that as impermanent, recognizing that as impermanent, we see that it's not me and that just 
makes us automatically not grab onto it. Yeah. So we're building that muscle. We're practicing something other than the habit of using every thought and feeling and perception and fabrication to define me yep. and to build the story of me. Yep. One thought after another clinging thought. And so when we interrupt, interrupt that by just recognizing that's impermanent, watching it arise and pass away. Like our breath is doing. Right. Then it loosens our whole personality. And that's what Matt was talking about when he's saying changes our relationship to our thoughts and our feelings. We're no longer using them to define me. And then we can start to slowly see where habits are serving us or not serving us. We can slowly start to see how to move through our lives with more compassion how to stay present with uncomfortable mind states and still be love our people mm. love our people even if they make us nuts or <laughs> scare the crap out of us <clears throat> so yeah that's all i was i mean you guys all said that that's what i meant <laughs> thank you <Jim. laughs> Maddie, do you have anything left after that? You know, it's not it's not good to show to show up the the big guy. <laughs> but you did. You stole the show. Wow. That was all planned. Um, it's again, like I was saying, this is probably maybe this fifth, sixth, or seventh one of these retreats that we've done. They just keep getting better and better. And when there's a full room of people sitting here together, wanting to understand, it's, it's, a, it's a really, it's something that I enjoy a lot. So thank you all for being here. Thank you, John. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, thank you all. Mm -hmm. Really, I am so fortunate to be a part of your sangha. And I really believe that. I'm not just saying it. And I think you're all realizing that you're uh, fortunate to have found. Uh, hey, these are such important words. I should be on camera. Um, it's. It, I, I'm always amazed, I guess, that this guy figured this out 2,600 years ago, and it still works. It's still applicable. It's still relevant. Even during the Buddha's time, the Dhamma had become altered and corrupted. And then once he passed, very quickly, there were offshoots that, that did all kinds of other things. And as far as I know, 
and I don't I don't know everything, so this may not be true, but I believe we're the only ones that are practicing what the Buddha taught in the world. Maybe not, you know, maybe there's other small groups like us that go somewhat unnoticed. I mean, I, because of the internet, there's people all over the world that know of me, but they're in the thousands, not the millions. And that's okay. I'm not, you know, we're not here to save the world. But what I'm saying is we have something so rare in the world, so rare to find. And every one of you, including you, Mark, the newest guy, teach us something, right? We all got something out of what Mark questioned, didn't we? And, and uh, Julia said something, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it got me thinking about how we teach. We don't get into other things. That's why we can come into this room, and while we're here, we're incorporating the Eightfold Path, whether we realize it in the moment or not, because we don't talk about other things here. You know, and that doesn't mean that other things aren't good. They're just not part of the Dhamma, so that we don't get into them. We stay focused on the four foundations of mindfulness and how we apply them. So, uh, I'm going to finish with meta, but just to, uh, just to reiterate a few things and go over a few things. Uh, there's going to be Qigong tomorrow. Qigong tomorrow at 9. Unless if, it rains. If it's raining, then we'll skip it. Because... Unfortunately, we can't fit everybody in, in the room. Um, so if it's raining, have another cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if, and I'll be here. If it's raining, we'll, we'll, most of us will be here at nine by 9.30 anyway. So the, the room will be open so you can come and join us then. <laughs> but if it's nice out, uh, and it, if you haven't had uh, experience well, if you haven't had, if you haven't experienced Qigong with Matt, it really is a great compliment to what we're doing here, especially the way that Matt presents it. So I would encourage you to come uh, to Qigong. Uh, the other thing is about what I said earlier. Try to stay off your, your cell phones and, you know, you could keep the TV off for the weekend. Try to be mindful of right speech um, when you leave here. You know, make this, this is, this is your retreat weekend. And as best as you can try to stay in that kind of retreat mind, that secluded space. Uh, I know sometimes it's difficult when you go out into the world and you have families to deal with, et cetera, uh, but just do your best. But the one thing you can do, I think, is to leave your phone alone. You know, maybe reinstall the focus in between, uh, Really, leave your phone alone, leave, leave your TV and your computer off, um, and just maintain this secluded space that we've established here. Okay? Yes, venerable sir. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to finish with Meta. So again, thank you all for coming here tonight and joining our retreat. Uh, these are the Buddha's words on Meta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta, describing the qualities of an awakened human being. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. 
They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is, <coughs> excuse me, this is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense desires, having completed the path, does not give birth to another moment rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. Thank you all for a wonderful start to our retreat. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.